With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken here, joined in this new era for the podcast obviously a lot has has changed david hartrick still beside me just look at all these changes dave yeah but there are two constants aren't there there are two things that will never change and that's me and you at the forefront of the podcast revolution talking about huddersfield town yeah i've been away for a couple of weeks uh a lot has happened well, I've been away and a lot has happened in the week since I've been back, uh, so apologies that we've not had a, a chance to do a terribly timely podcast reacting to everything, but it's as well we did because we've now got the fixtures, we've now had confirmation of the takeover is happening. We'll start though with Neil Warnock, who is staying on as manager. I think he was quite insistent last season that he wouldn't be staying on um, as manager, and lo and behold, he's coming back in for another year i know obviously the fans are extremely um well they're they're delighted by it and and you would be i think the club couldn't not offer it to to neil warnock after the end of the last season they had the best ever finish to a, a championship season to a second tier season since three points for a win was introduced in 1982 uh, 21 points I think it was in the final 10 games of the season which is remarkable for his team that was bottom of the table going into those final 10 games um, there was a massive upturn in form last year but I know that you have some misgivings Dave so we'll start there um, what's what's your thoughts on it I think we're I think we're both of the same view so we may as well get this out of the way first I think it's worth saying we both know that Huddersfield Town had to ask the question, didn't they? Um, and if Neil Warnock said yes, they had to say yes themselves, didn't they? With like yeah. completely understand that, completely get it, have no issue with it on that front. It's just more. I get buying themselves a season, which I is is what it feels like to me. You know, buy yourself a season while you sort various things out. Um, new owner we know there's various wrangles around the stadium that need sorting the squad needs looking at various other things but I just it's a very different situation Neil Warnock coming in and managing from the off you know he did a superb job we said on the the live super pod that we uh, did with Andy Takes That Chance down at Magic Rock you know one of the things we praised him for, I think me and you both said it, I think Matt Glennon completely agreed, was that one of the things Warnock had done is just managed from game to game. You know, he'd, he'd in that situation, with a limited number, he'd just made it all about the match day and gone from game to game. Can't really do that when you're there from the off. You know, it's it's a it's a very different thing. And it just feels to me like... I, I, I can, as I said, it's not coming from a place of, you know, I would never have done it. Town had to ask the question and if he said yes, they had to they had to get him in. 
but I just think they need to start thinking about where they go from here. You know, I'm not. We praised Warnock for his tactics at times, and I think he's no way is he the tactical dinosaur some people make him out. But at the same time, Burnley didn't go up last season because they wanted it more. Sheffield United didn't go up because they, you know, died to win a corner. It, it's it's those things and that effort are important, and I know they're things the crowd appreciates. But I just think that league is going to be very competitive next season. No, competitive is not me saying it. You know, the quality is going to be really good. I just think it's going to be very competitive. I don't think there's many mugs in that league. Ipswich and Plymouth who've come up are uh, very good attacking units and very well coached off the ball. They're going to make it difficult for several sides next season. Sheffield Wednesday coming up in the manner they did. They've got rid of Darren Moore. It feels like they're going to employ somebody either completely stupid or extremely sensible. We shall see. Um, but it feels like they're going to have a run at staying up. So it's going to be a difficult league. And I just, I, I just, what I don't want is another season of sort of standing still, really. And we know there's things to sort. And we know, you know, Neil Warnock comes with kind of a guarantee of of you're not going to be in that bottom three battle for the the longer term, we hope. But at the same time, it's it's what do they do next summer if they have one more year of Warnock. But I keep coming back to the same thing. Completely understand it. Had to ask if he gets permission from his missus <laughs> to be able to do it, which is we know how it works. Then, yeah, they had to, they had to go and do something. But I just... My whole thing is, you know, the working class club thing and all of this sort of thing. I, I just, I want them to be ambitious. You know, I want them to, to really push themselves forward and I want them to, to kind of embrace that change. And I I don't feel or have seen anything that makes me think that's going to happen this summer. But what's your take on it, Steve? I think everyone knows I get on very well with Neil Warnock and have nothing, had nothing but good things to say about the, the job he did last season um i think i would have in an ideal world would have liked to have seen the club i think make it in the, under the new regime make an immediate sort of the, they're trying to push that this is a new era but i'm not sure that having a manager who was there last season who you know is going to retire or or leave the club next summer Unless you can tempt him for another year, but he's he's you know Neil Warnock is not going to be there in ten years' time. I think we can pretty safely say no manager. But then you could also say, well, what manager is you know they tried to do the forward planning with Danny Schofield and that didn't work. They tried to do the forward planning young up and coming with Mark, Mark Fotheringham and that didn't work. And I know that was a point that Neil Warnock was very keen to make um, himself. So it's less. It's less about Warnock for me. I'm absolutely fine with, with Neil Warnock being manager. It just felt like that first press conference, and I appreciate that, that Kevin Nagel hadn't taken the club over yet. We're going to speak to Kevin Nagel on Tuesday at a press conference, so this could all change. But there was a lot of, are you going to replace Lee Bromby? Well, we'll need to wait and see. Are you going to, what's going to happen with the stadium? We're going to have to wait and see. I think it depends how much that is them being coy and they actually do have plans and they just need a safe pair of hands to get them through the first year where they start putting those plans into place. And how much of it is 
actually, we, we, we don't particularly have a plan here and Neil Warnock is our plan for the time being. And I think those are two very different scenarios. Um, so we'll see. I, I think... I think they were probably quite intentionally playing things down. I think mm. it's very easy as a new regime and very tempting to come in and go, everything's going to be brilliant from here on in. <laughs> um, and so I think the decision not to do that feels quite conscious to me. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's I sort of learned with Warnock not to, that conventional wisdom can go out the window <laughs> a little bit as well. Um so, yeah, genuinely, it's it, it. We'll need to see how the results go uh, and how the rest of the summer unfolds. I think because we're literally we're recording this less than forty eight hours after Kevin Nagel has taken over the club. We've not even spoken to him yet, um, and even if we were judging him on words, I think that only goes so far. We need to judge him on actions. We don't even have a first sign in yet, no. um, let alone any sort of clarity on on the stadium or you know or anything like that longer term. So. Wait and I, I, see. The one thing I would say, just picking up on something you said, is like we will um, we will have a little talk about Lee Bromby and his sort of legacy because it's something me and you have differing views on to some of the fan base, shall we say? But I don't think you I don't think you employ Neil Warnock and employ a director of football or a technical director because yeah let's be honest Neil Warnock is not going to listen to them if they say something he doesn't want to hear if he's not willing to listen to his physios <laughs> he's not willing to listen to a director of football so i would imagine that's probably something for the future maybe to look at after warnock yeah one thing i i do question um and <sighs> It's difficult to say this without doing down the man who's replaced him, but I thought it was a real shame to see Clem leave the club, and it's, it was quite clear oh, from yeah. Warnock's press conference that that was a decision Neil Warnock had made. Uh, uh, you and I, you know, we're not footballers, we're not on that training pitch, but I know that Clem's reputation across Europe was extremely high, um, and that he he could have left town to to you know he would have had other offers to leave town and go to Premier League clubs, and he's always stuck by him. He's had. I don't think he had too much intention of leaving the club any time in the near future either. Um, and I, you know, nothing, nothing against Ian Bennett. Ian Bennett might turn out to be just as good a coach, if if not better. Warnock has worked with him, um, and who are we to to question Neil Warnock's methods? But I do hope that wasn't a short sighted move to get rid of a, a coach of of Clem's caliber and reputation to bring in Ian Bennett just because he's someone that Warnock knows already. Yeah, I I could not agree more with you. You know, I I'm fortunate enough to know a few people at other clubs, and Clem is someone who sort of everyone is aware of. You know, I I, I genuinely think hand on heart, he probably walks into most clubs in this land with with open arms as a goalkeeping coach. And the one thing we know about him, sort of anecdotally and personally, once or twice, is he can be quite outspoken. And I hope that it's not a case of Neil Warnock doesn't want any dissenting voices because I, I think dissenting voices in football clubs can be actually quite a healthy situation. Um, but yeah, it is it is disappointing and, and I'm sure he's had offers that he has not taken or you know just refused outright to even entertain to stay at Huddersfield Town. 
So yeah, it was disappointing. It was disappointing. And it was also, I don't think anyone was expecting it. I don't think it was on the cards. I, I certainly don't think the sort of, you know, the rumour and the, the gossip was that he was going as well. It feels like it was quite a quite a quick, quite a sudden thing. Um, so I'm with you on that. I, I'm quite disappointed. But I'm interested in your read on Lee Bromby's exit, which we both know was inevitable. And yeah. we both know had been in the post for a long time, but what's your sort of view on his legacy? I think it's a, a complicated one. I think his record on transfers is it's not absolutely stellar, but I think it's very defensible. I think there are some obvious duds in there. Rolando Aarons and, and Conor Mahoney sort of stand out. Um, there's some loans that didn't work out, like Luke Mbete, uh, Mipo de Becco, but then he's also brought in. Uh, well, I think we'll we'll credit Clem with Lee Nichols, but he's also brought in Matty Pearson and Tom Lees and Michal Hellick and Silver Thomas, um, all players that have uh, arrived under his watch. Um, Danny Ward as well. Um, Jack Radoni, I think, is pretty unequivocal. I think, obviously, managerially, it's a mixed record, and I think, ultimately, that's what has done him the most harm because... He, he was the one who brought Carlos Corbrand to the club, which, massive thumbs up for that. Mm-hmm. He was also the one who brought Mark Fotheringham to the club, which I think is... Massive uh, thumbs down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, can't, you can't defend that, unfortunately. The timing of it. If he'd brought Fotheringham in the summer and he hadn't worked out and then they'd had to replace him, we won it then, then fine. But it's the fact that they'd already had that mm-hmm. awful start to the season and then they took another gamble. Um, I think is... Yeah, you can't defend that. But... I think part of the legacy, and I wrote this earlier in the week, but part of his legacy we're going to have to see because that group of academy players that is coming through now, that I think we've been told for years this academy group is really special, they're going to be really good. And I think they've been banking for a while on this group is going to come good and it's starting to feel like this might actually be the year that happens because we've seen a few of them have actually come and performed well under Warnock. But mm. likes of Biloka Pitch, Edmunds Green, Luik Aina is coming through, um, Etienne Kamara, Brody Spencer, Jaheim Headley, Ben Jackson, um, have I mentioned Brahima Diara already, Aaron Rowe, um, Kean Harrop, Kieran Phillips. Um, they're all players that were either managed by Bromby when he was academy manager or they were signed by him um, or both and I think bear in mind that Town did that massive overhaul to the the entire structure of their academy while Bromby was there and and managing the Mm -hmm. academy Um, and I've not even mentioned Lewis O'Brien by the way another player who's come through under under Bromby's watch um, and then sold for for multi-millions that's that's where his legacy will be, I think. And I think if that group turns out to be as good as everyone hopes they are, or even half of them do, or or two or three, four of them do, uh, and they've already got one in O'Brien, then I think that's where you'll you'll look back more favourably on Lee Bromby. I think. Mm. I I think there's a lot of. I think what Lee has suffered with is that when they got to the playoff final, the, the, bringing Corbyn in, that squad that he'd helped put together, the players that had come through. I think the issue is that then we come into last season and suddenly he became, in a lot of fans' minds, responsible for absolutely none of that, but definitely responsible for all the bad decisions. Yeah. And I think that's that's 
completely the wrong way to look at it okay and I think you know Fothering was a bad decision I think Schofield was uh, he wasn't ready but I I think that decision was made in pure panic you know you have to remember it was what a fortnight out from the season starting and it was it far off yeah it was the first day of pre-season short, uh, for, for certain it was it was just crazy, you know. It was it was just a mad scramble. So, my personal read on it is: I think Lee did a really really good job at that club um, overall. I think the a lot of the bad decisions that were made. It is remarkable how many people have sort of completely distanced themselves from the bad decisions that were made, but are more than happy to say they had. A little bit of input into all the good decisions. It's remarkable that Steve, isn't it? Um, but I think overall, I think Lee did a good job there. There are the problem is his mistakes were always the highest profile one. Okay, you know yeah. Mark Fotheringham was 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 unforgivable. He wasn't Fotheringham. We defended for quite a while because we could see what he was trying to get to. But then he got there. And we were like, okay, right, he's got his step one of the plan. And it was nothing else. <laughs> there was mm. absolutely nothing that followed behind it. So the the thing is with Fotheringham, there was a, an issue there. So we completely get that. And there have been some duds, you know, Loughton, etc. But again, we, me and you do not know how much signing an ex-Burnley player was Lee Bromby's mm-hmm. fault. Um, so... Yeah, I think it's a complicated legacy, but I think he was a positive influence in that club overall. I think he's left some lasting change that will stay there. As you said, there's a crop of players coming through who he has directly had a hand in bringing to the club or nurturing or bringing through into the first-team squad. But it's also completely understandable that when you make high-profile mistakes, you're obviously going to be in the firing line. And again, that idea of having Lee Bromby even remotely trying to tell Neil Warnock what to do or who he's going to get in the transfer market. That's just not how 74-year-old Neil Warnock <laughs> is going to operate at this stage in his career, is it? He's not going to have a, a lad who he sat in the corner while he was delivering one of his bollockings, <laughs> yeah. telling him what to do, is he? No. Um, I think the other sort of mistake, if you want to call it that, and, and part of it was budgetary, I think people think of the players that they missed out on and that is all of them are down to, to money you likes of your Fleming yeah. and your Adebayo I think going into 2020-21 Carlos's first season there was too much faith put in that academy group to, to be the backup um, they should have expected that they were going to have more injuries than, than usual um, and I know that part of a lot of it was a budgetary restraint because they just didn't have the, the money to, to bring in players and they obviously they got the benefit of that the following year when every other club in the division was suddenly like oh we need to trim our budget Town had already done it um, and they still had players on the wage bill let's not forget who were likes of Mbenza and Diacarby mm-hmm. and Pritchard who were eating up considerable wages who they, they just had to see their contracts out but I think they did put a bit too much faith in the youngsters to be the backup in that season yeah. um, you know we know that likes of DR and Kieran Phillips ended up playing and I think to be honest I think that sort of did a little bit of harm to those players reputations and I think as I think people would probably be a bit more excited about this crop that was coming through now if half of them hadn't had to play as emergency cover um two three years ago um yeah. but 
yeah, I think it is genuinely. I think you look at it now, particularly. I think this is the big benefit of Warnock is. I was looking at that squad before we knew it was Warnock and we were thinking it was going to be someone else and, and you think, oh, they need players in this area, this area, this area. Are this Is this player ready? I'm not sure. And suddenly you look at it with Warnock in charge and you think, oh, actually, I don't have any... I have less doubts about Ralph Murray Edmonds Green now. Mm. I have less doubts about Ben Jackson now. I have less... You know, I think there's a few players, Sorba Thomas as well, uh, and, and Josh Gromer, I think, are big ones as well. Um players who you look at and you think now that you know Warnock is in charge and you think oh actually yeah they're going to be absolutely fine yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. so that's the that big is, benefit I think that is why Town had to say yes to Neil Warnock and like I, I'm not I'm not sort of criticising them for that at all because I'm with you there you, you look at that squad now and you think okay they do need less and let's be honest I think when a new owner comes in you have two two different types of fan. There's the fan who goes, new owner, loads of money, let's just spend loads of money on the first team squad. Let's just get loads of first team players in and, and have a proper go. And then there's the other fan who goes, new owner's coming in, loads of money, let's just spend loads of money on the club and plug some holes and sort various things out. And I think with Neil Warnock, you get more of a chance to sort things out club-wise yeah. Then, then just having to plough money into your first team squad, and you know, if that's the case, and we've got a year where we get announcements about the stadium, and we can see things that the academy progressing, and you know, some of the roles that have been trimmed back are being expanded again, and various other things. I don't think me or you have any problem with that whatsoever. No, that's exactly it. it. It's just you're going to have to be patient on the pitch if it's a fairly predictable mid-table season. But me and you would advocate having a fairly predictable mid-table season anyway. There's just ways you can do it, isn't there? That's the thing. What you really want with a mid-table season is where you're nice and comfortable. You don't really flirt with relegation. For a month or six weeks or so, you look like we're sitting here asking the question, could they just get into the playoffs? But then ultimately you just sort of sit nice and comfortable in that, I don't know, 10th position, something like that. That's the kind of season that it would be great to see them have, really. But I, I keep coming back to the same thing. My only thing is, I just think it's going to be a really competitive league this season. Really competitive. Yeah. So we'll see. I th- as I say, I think the only reason I have sort of any doubts about the approach is just because there's the, there's those question marks. And as you say, we, we know that, for instance, the stadium needs what is it? Something like ten to fifteen million pounds worth of well, improvements made to it, yeah, just in terms of the plant. Yeah, um, you know the the generators that power the stadium, things boring stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, needs money spending on it. And Kevin Nagel did tweet to a fan the other day that they are under some financial restrictions for the first year. I'd be interested to know what those restrictions are because if it is something like we need to put ten million pounds into the stadium or we need to pay off this. Because we haven't had the accounts, by the way, for 2021, 22. So there might be something, and, and I'm I'm not saying there is, um, but if there's something in those accounts that takes us by surprise that might need financing immediately or who knows. Um, we'll, I, would say, have, we'll I would imagine you know more than this than me. So I'm asking you the question. I'm not making a statement here, Steve. I would imagine if he's bought the club, the EFL have said that he's got to clear a level of debt. I know Town's debts weren't massive, but he's probably got to clear a level of debt. And he's had to prove funding and he's probably had to prove what a section of that funding for and you're mm. talking about stuff like the stadium. 
do you think that's the kind of financial constraints he's under? What you can't do is tell the EFL you're going to do A, B, C and D and then yeah. just sack that completely off and do something completely different. Do you think that's more in line? Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll have had to make a three-year business plan to get approved by the EFL, so they, yeah. they will know where that money is, is going to go. As you say, it could well be that they are... Uh, we'll need to see how much debt Dean Hoyle is writing off, for instance, or how much mm. needs to be paid for um, out of Kevin Nagel's pocket, because you know he might have a number in his head where uh, a number that he's willing to go up to, and if a mm. chunk of that is going on paying off debt or paying off stadium or whatever it might be, then it, it will inevitably impact on the wage budget, the transfer budget, and I think that you want to, if that is the case anything like that and again I can't stress enough how much how speculative that is I think probably the accounts for 2021-22 will um, provide some clarity on that and we'll, we'll you should have those accounts in the next week or so um, I think it is the right move to pull the band-aid off now rather than mm. have that sitting around for, for years uh, I, I, and I, th- I, that, and I think having Warnock put, maybe puts them in a unique position to do it now when feel like yeah. they're fairly secure in doing it and that that's the thing it's not I only I only have questions over the future in a progressive sense, and that's why I'm that's why I don't particularly like the Warnock decision, but I completely understand it. You know, and as I keep saying, if we get if that's what happens over this year, if you buy yourself a year on the pitch to have a year sorting everything out off the pitch, absolutely fine. But then what you want to see next year is the benefit of that twelve months, isn't it? We don't want to be. Me and you can't sit here. This we joked about it off air, but me and you can't sit here having this same podcast next year talking about the stadium <laughs> and various other things. You know, there are things that need some progress and need and need sorting really. And if that's what Warnock buys them, brilliant. But yeah, you know, the to do list we don't know exactly what's on the to do list, but we both know the to do list will be pretty big, won't it, generally speaking. So Let's see what they get ticked off it. Yeah. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Transfers will be the next one that everyone wants. Um, we're still waiting for, for news on Josh Caroma and his contract. Um, and then it's, you know, incomings and outgoings. We've not really had anything of, of either other than what's what we've seen on the retained list. I think this, unlike the past couple of years, I think even the retained list, if they were to keep Caroma now, I think no one would particularly have any major objections to, to the players that are going. Um, there's no one been sold yet. We'll see what happens. It feels like Lee Nichols is the big one. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure after what happened with Silver Thomas at Blackburn and I question how much Premier League interest there would be in him as I think we discussed before. But, but half the Premier League needs a goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> and he's going to be on several lists. But also I think even if you count Sorba Thomas, I think Town probably need at least one more good wide attacking player. Yes. So I think if you get rid of Sorba, I think that's two. And they are difficult and expensive positions to sort. Yeah. So I do just wonder if they think with Sorba, working with Warnock 
might actually be worth you know sitting down and trying to persuade him and i would advocate that as well to be honest you know me and you uh, me and you didn't particularly want him to go but completely understanded him understood him going understand it it's been a while since we podded isn't it uh we understood him going um but he's a player who you think under warnock could actually he might be yeah. one who really thrives in a sort if he of, gets the karoma treatment yeah yeah so we, i mean he's, he, he's left is i think he's I, I i'm hopeful on so because i think he comes into this summer really with something to prove because yeah obviously he wasn't happy with how things ended at town under fotheringham it's clear that those two didn't get on um, and then Blackburn, it was a similar story. He ended up losing his place, and John Dahl Thomason was criticising him. Um, not, you know, massively, but hinting that maybe the level wasn't there in training. And he subsequently lost his place in the Wales squad, which, knowing sort mm. of a little bit, will will have hurt him a lot. So I think yeah. he really will come in full of beans this summer, and, and I think that is going to be a good thing for town. Yeah. Uh, the one, the other thing I would say is. It was really, really sad to see Danny Ward go. Really, really sad. Really, <laughs> really sad. And then it was great to see him come back. Yay! No, I think I think Wardy was one we talked about. I think on that Andy takes that chance pod, and I think the pod we did at the end of the season, we both said if you could get him on the right money to stay at that club, not necessarily as your number one striker, but mm-hmm. as an option in that squad. And I think even more so under working under Warnock, who you know. I think Warnock takes him to bed on a night and cuddles him like a teddy. I think, yeah, it just made all the sense in the world, didn't it, to try and get that deal done. I was I was quite surprised it was for two years, but also, you know, if it's the right money again, me and you both know how difficult strikers are to recruit, particularly for the championship. Why not? You know, you've you've got somebody who you know exactly what you're going to get from them, which is, is maximum effort, if nothing else. So... I think yeah. if you need to, if you need to sign Danny Ward to two years to get him to stay for one, then it's worth doing. Then isn't maybe it? it's worth doing, and particularly you know year two's wages aren't necessarily going to be the same as year one's either. No, um, no. So and also, we know anecdotally he's very very happy in the area. He doesn't particularly want to leave. Um, you know, he's building a house. I think his family are building a business, etc. You can slightly leverage that without wanting to sound mean or you know I don't mean that in a in a bad way he doesn't want to leave town need that position town are better with Danny Ward in that first team squad so it was good to just see an agreement reached as for the Coroma one I think anybody who listens to that pod knows my views on Coroma I think it's for me it's whether he's he's expensive or not that's genuinely what it comes down to because I think Josh Caroma at his best is up there with the top, genuinely the top five percent in that league. Uh, you know, and I truly mean that. He was that game against Sheffield United for an hour of that game. He was not far off unplayable. Watford as well. I know you went uh, out yeah. that game. That that no, Watford game. No, but I watched is, it. Yeah, he, was, he played he was at centre forward, and that's one of the one of the best centre forward performances I've seen in a township in my four years covering the club full time. But what I what I would say is there's another Josh Caroma. So it just. I don't know. I don't know. I'm a bit torn on that. I, I would say go back and listen to the Takes You Chance podcast. But if you do that and you're a loyal listener to our pod, go back and listen to one of our old ones twice to make up for it. I think that's another one where having Warnock in, I think, yeah. makes it easier to re-sign him. Because you know that at least you're going to get a year of good yeah. Josh Caroma, you would hope. And I think 
let's be honest, a, if you get a year of good Josh Karome, you sell him next summer, don't you? Because <laughs> he'll he'll be worth ten million quid to someone at that point. Yeah, you'd hope so. But the other thing is, if you've got you sign Ward, you sign Karoma, There's been a lot of talk about strikers and wanting to bring another striker in. You've got I know Josh Karome tends to play on the left or tends to play wide, but can play through the middle. He's got Wardy to, as I said, he's got his teddy bear to play through the middle in those games where he wants somebody just to be a pest and harass. It does give him less of a problem to solve in that position, and it is, as we know, the perhaps the most expensive position to recruit for and get some quality. And I think when you look at the others there, I don't think Tyree Simpson is is near for me. Um, no. You know, Warnock may love him, but he doesn't look championship ready to me to the point where I'd almost be considering getting him some football this season in League One, maybe. I, I think in terms of everybody else, Kean Harrett I think is a good option, but is he ready to sort of play even 25 championship games? I'm, I'm not so sure about that, Steve. I think maybe he, you keep around that squad till January and then you have a decision to make, don't you, whether, you know, what happens in the longer term there. I don't think Kieran Phillips is anywhere near. I, you know, it, I, I think he's a very nice footballer to watch and a very good footballer to watch, but... The championship is is a bare pit of a league. Yeah, it's it, it's it's fitness and robustness for him. Yeah. His goal scoring record is is really good when you look at his last couple of loan spells. Um, particularly playing for a not very good Morecambe team. Um, mm. I know he had a dry spell in the middle of his spell at Morecambe last year, but even when I, I went when he was in the middle of that dry spell and everyone was going, yeah, but no one cares because he's doing so much off the ball. Uh, mm. And then he got back into goal scoring form. He was nominated for Player of the Month the year that he uh, the month that in January, even though he got injured in early early January because he was he was that good early in the month but yeah he um it's fitness for him and there's a couple like that Pat Jones as well is another center forward yeah, option who you could say that I about f- plays on the wing primarily but can play it Pat time. Jones is like I mean we've seen him in the B team quite a bit he's just an insanely talented player but he, yeah. he needs his body to stand up to yeah. like 10 games in the championship doesn't he it's not even five yeah. at this point and um so going back to the original point, I think if you've got Karoma and Danny Ward as options through the middle, I think that makes your squad building or how you're looking at this summer, I think it does change the complexion and puts a striker from, we need to get a first team striker in who's going to play 38 games this season and guarantee us 15 plus goals to, we need a third option, you know, somebody... Yeah somebody else so I completely it's, see the sense in it it's just it's interesting that we're not talking about Jordan Rhodes here isn't it <laughs> well I think it's quite clear that Warnock just doesn't yeah. it's it's the thing Warnock wants from a striker is the opposite of what Jordan Rhodes is yeah <laughs> you know Jordan for Jordan's qualities are getting on the end of things aren't they not being a pest not making things happen on his own not spending 90 minutes bullying somebody because it gives somebody else space in the game um and that's that's just worn up ball isn't it you know there, there's it's not Rhodes's fault i think he's been linked with a few um a few clubs and it just makes sense doesn't it that he probably moves on this summer yeah yeah hopefully we'll get some movement on the transfer front now i think it that was always going to if they could possibly wait until the takeover was done. I think they were always going to, weren't they? Let's be honest. Um, so now that's done, hopefully we'll we'll see some movement in the the coming days um, with with new faces. But 
from what Neil Warnock said, I think we're not expecting loads. Probably sort of one, two, three new signings plus replacements for any one of these. Not to not to tie you down, but position wise, where do you think they'll go for? Well, he said that they're after a striker, um, and I don't think that is just as we've discussed. I don't think that is just. Oh, what if Wardy leaves? Um, yeah. I think they need a. I think they need a winger, as you've touched on. Um, and then, if I had to do one more, I think I'd be tempted to go right back, um, just because they only have Brody Spencer that's fit, who's an out-and-out right back at the moment. I know you can play Matty Pearson there. You could play Ben Jackson there, to be fair, because he is genuinely two-footed. Um, Sorba could play as a wing back. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Turton's going to miss the start of the season, um, and I think that's an important role. I think you, I would strongly advocate they need a midfielder if they can get one. But if if I had to pick between that and a right back, I think the right back is the more pressing need. Would you go the other way? I think the I think the striker chase is out there, but I think the profile of the striker, as we've just discussed, changes a little bit. I think they definitely need another wide option. Yeah. Um, because I think it's quite clear that there's certainly a way that Warnock would like to play that they can't with the options at the club at the moment. So that's got to be done. Well, it's it's currently Sorba Thomas, maybe Josh Caroma, Aaron Rowe, Conor yeah. Mahoney, and Pat Jones, who, as we've discussed, can't yeah. really count on his fitness so, at this stage. So. so they've got to go with one wide option. I mean, arguably, you could advocate that they need to. You know, maybe you're looking at someone you can sign and someone you can bring in on loan. But I do think that passing eight in midfield, I do think that sort of um, that link really, because I think as as you look at Radoni now, Radoni Rudders, the Rudman, um, I think he's got a different role under Warnock, and I think one of the things that Warnock likes about him is that he can use him in different roles and get mm. a different tune out of him in different roles. So I think they are a central midfielder short. And what I mean by central midfielder is a is a proper eight, not someone who's half a six or half a ten. I mean a proper passing, link man, good on a dead ball type player. Um, but again, maybe you look, maybe you look, try and loan someone. I don't know. I don't know. The right back think, for a third spell. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's that it's that type of player who, in yeah. certain situations where you need to. Uh, you need somebody who can thread a ball through the lines, and at the moment, there's nobody in that midfield who can really do it. And uh, sort of Jack Radona, Paul Rudd, Rudders, the Rudman, the Rudmeister General, he is kind of evolved into a player who wants to get on the end of that rather than play mm. that ball. So, yeah. yeah, I do think they kind of need to look at that. The, the right back is less of a concern for me because I think they do have options to get through, and I think once Turton's back, I think yeah. Turton is your right back. I th- you, yeah, yeah. It just we've always really liked Turton, and you know the, the, when it, him coming back is a massive boost, isn't it? So I know the, ACLs can be different. If he's back in October, then yeah. I revise my opinion. But if he's if he's out for a year and he's only only going to be yeah, back exactly. in February, he's missing most of the season. But I, th- I think I mean going out wide, you, you could continue with Headley or Jackson there, yeah. as Warnock did last year on the left, I suppose. Um, but, but I just I but I don't seriously think you get thirty five games from either of them. That's that's my issue. Yeah. Not without having to accept that they're going to have like at least two spells in the season where they just look 
they look out of it because they've got to sort of evolve their game a little bit. They're young players. I, I think you're also relying there on Yutanakiyama coming back and being brilliant off the bat, um, yeah. which is no means a guarantee after a long layoff. And also, by the way, it looks like he's been in the weights, doesn't he? I don't think yeah, he's he any pictures yeah, of him yeah. lately. His upper body is massive, um, but um, in a good way. But um, also, and you don't want to bring this up because it's horrible, but the recursion rate for an Achilles injury is higher than pretty mm-hmm. much any other injury. Um, so, yeah. you know, you don't want to leave yourself short on left back again um, by relying on Headley and Jackson to be wingers. So, yeah, the other winger. big one as well, like we sort of, we kind of skipped over it earlier was, but it is the question mark over Lee Nichols, isn't it? Yeah. You just, you don't know if they are going to get offers for him. And if, the thing is, like, there are, I have spoke about goalkeepers, you know, and I do think goalkeeper is a position you can recruit for easier than, say, a striker. But at the same time, he's the best goalkeeper in that league, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think, I think, uh, sorry to, yeah, you, you're right. And, and, and I think if Nichols were to go, they'd have to get a hefty fee for him, and you'd think they'd be able to replace him for that. Mm. But, um, but yeah, it's it, it wouldn't be ideal. I think ideally you keep him, but I think business-wise, there's probably a case that you, you probably <laughs> you're going to sell someone. He's mm. the most valuable, and probably the one you can most easily replace, and the one you can most afford to lose. So. Yeah, we'll see. Sorry, before we move on, the wide positions, I'm not forgetting. I've got them at number 10 on my board here, which I'm referring to. Dwayne Holmes and Brahima Diara are options as well. Yeah. But again, you're losing them as midfield options there. Yeah, I think Brahima is just an absolute... I mean, I love him. He's just essentially... Essentially, his tactical position is to go on the pitch and be a bag of wasps. That's his his basic role in that side, and I just I think it's great. But his defensive, I, I looked at it recently, his, and I don't think we talked about it on the podcast. His defensive stats are absolutely through the roof mm. uh, for a player of his position. But I think with I think with Dwayne Holmes, I think Dwayne Holmes brings a certain how can I put it? He brings a certain thing to the side, but that that's about it. You know, I think everything we've seen from Dwayne Holmes is pretty much everything he's he's got really. So I think there are certain games, certain positions, certain opposition, and certain opposition players, importantly, that you play Dwayne Holmes against because you know he will do he'll do a man to man job for you, you know, or he'll sit deeper and protect that side, or he'll come inside and make up an extra man in midfield if you want. But I think what we're talking about is that wide player who is essentially like Sorba Thomas at his best, who actually plays wide and can deliver crosses in. Because part of the problem with Sorba's sort of decline in his form is that he was the only one Town had. So as soon as they sort of doubled up on him, and in some cases, in some games, even trebled up on him, Town kind of had nothing else, nothing left, you know, because you weren't getting anything like from the other side. So you've kind of got to balance it to ask different questions of that opposition defence, haven't you? And that's the profile of player we're we're talking about Dwayne should be fit early on in the season shouldn't he yeah I think you're looking at if he's not back for the start of the season then not long after is mm. the, the, the 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 impression I get but obviously I've not checked in on that for a while so we'll, we'll I'll ask again in, in pre-season but yeah yeah well it, he's a good squad option but is he is he sort of a 40 game first team player for me at this point I I think it depends on your level of 
level of ambition, shall we say. He always ends up on the bench, doesn't he? He has yeah. a good spell, and then he ends up back <coughs> on the bench for a spell, and then he does well off the bench, and then he comes back into the team, and then he you've ends got up a, on the bench again. I think we, I think we talked about this before. You've got to know the exact moment to pull him out the side, haven't you? Yeah. You, you've got to judge that moment because he, he will go on a, he will have that sort of three-game run where he's pretty, he pretty anonymous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, plenty to talk about, and and yeah, plenty to. Uh, I'm sorry if this was uh, a bit more down to <laughs> grounded in reality than uh, than you might otherwise have, have expected. But I think there are sort of lots of question marks still um, ahead of the new season, um, and there may well be answers to all of those things. You know, none of the things I think we've mentioned here, Dave, are things where it's like, oh no, this is a massive red flag. The club's knackered for the next five years. They they literally are, they literally are just these are questions we would like to see answered, and they may well be answered, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and I mean we you got a press conference with Kevin Nagel yeah, on exactly. Tuesday, and I'm sure, listen, transfer wise, I'm sure there has also been a little bit of a move to try and keep your powder dry so that you've got some PR wins under the new owner yeah. and the new manager, which is is how football and how public relations work. So we completely understand that as well, but also got the fixture list, haven't we? Which is exciting. We have. Can I yeah. just can I just have a slight run? If you're one of those whoppers who when the the fixture list comes out, tweets, Oh, look, we got fixtures, we've got to play everybody twice, I can't believe it. Just do me a favour and just go and look at yourself in the mirror and take a good hard long look at that for twenty minutes. Fixture lists are exciting. It's where you can start to like plan and plot. I bet you're the sort of person who, when the, tri- the presents went under your Christmas tree, you went, oh, don't worry, don't touch them, you'll be able to have a look at them on Christmas morning. No, be excited. Fixture lists are good. Dream. Live a little. Oh, it's only what's on my Amazon wish list anyway. Um, yeah, it sort of takes the, a little bit of the fun out of going on that pre-season trip, which I'll be off to in a couple of weeks, the, the fact that we're... Got to yeah. go back to Plymouth again two weeks later, um, but um, yeah, in other circumstances that would have been the exact game I wanted um, as the opening game. Uh, nice hot August day um, on the south coast. Leicester is uh, well. We've got Middlesbrough will be the first home game of the mm-hmm. Nagel regime uh, in the Carabao Cup, the most boring possible Carabao <laughs> Cup game. Um, my wife wanted to an away trip to Wrexham because she's been watching the documentary, mm-hmm. um, but. Um, yeah, uh, and then first home league game, uh, Leicester, which is an interesting one. We've never seemed to get an, a, a, an easy home. Haven't we had a newly relegated team as the first home game for the last three years now? Mm, yeah, and it, it's then it's then moving on to Norwich. We don't know what condition they're going to be in, but you, know, you suspect they're going to be reasonably strong. Then is it West Brom after that? Again, we don't know what condition they'll be in. It, it, it's a tough start, but I think like it's quite a good yardstick, isn't it, for where Town are going to be that first the first five games. I'd say um, I think after that we're really going to have a sort of idea of what kind of season we've got coming up, really. But then what's quite nice is I think there's I think that's quite a tough start. But after that, yeah, away to Middlesbrough in there as well in the middle of that. I think if you were looking at, I mean, we don't do gambling and betting stuff on this pod and we're both actually against that kind of thing. But I think if you were looking at win percentages and gambling odds, I think then as you look over the rest of the season, 
there's no other sort of run of four or five games that looks absolutely terrifying. You know, they they might have two in a row, but they've they've got they've got quite a nice even rest of the season really yeah that's i i think just in general there's a bit of it i mean it will change we'll know after 10 games like whether this changes or not but just on paper looking at it there isn't like a massive nightmare run where they've got all three newly relegated teams plus coventry and middlesbrough they do have they've got um a five game run that repeats itself in november and then again in um in like february where it's um it's Leeds, Watford, Hull, Southampton, Sunderland, mm. um, and I think the Christmas fixtures are probably up there as the hardest in the division. To be honest, it's uh, yeah, Millwall, but, Millwall away, Norwich away, Blackburn, Borough, Leicester. They're home on Boxing Day, aren't they? Yeah, home on Which the twenty ninth. I, I genuinely, hand on heart, I do think it's one fixture where having a home advantage actually makes a huge difference. I think the home and away thing is shrinking as as time goes by but I do think Boxing Day it makes a difference I think finishing with two games at home as well is quite reasonably handy um, before going away to Ipswich on the final day yeah, yeah before yeah. going away to Ipswich on the final day as you say which you'd kind of hope that game's a dead rubber one way or another you know you'd kind of hope possibly all three of those are but I'm still yeah. still yet to cover a town game on the final day that's actually uh, meant anything yeah, <laughs> unless yeah. you count the, the regular season anyway. Um, yeah. So. so I think I think like pouring over. Steve knows my views on this. The minute the fixtures are out, the new season begins, and it's exciting. I love fixture release day, and I think pouring over the possibilities is is just it's human nature. And I think that when I looked at the fixtures last season, I remember looking in the summer, and I remember looking. I think there was three runs that looked horrible absolutely horrible whereas this time as i said i think the first the first month and a bit is tough and then we'll see where we end up you know if they can get through that first month and a bit and they're in an all right position i think they'll be absolutely fine over yeah. the course of the season absolutely fine it's it's kind of meaningless as well anyway it's fun to look at these things i agree but you know, last season Town's record against the top three was exactly the same as their record against the bottom three. Mm. Uh, <laughs> one, one, draw, one, lost, lost the rest. Um, and you know, they had that that nightmare run last season was the last ten games, and that was their best, their only good run of form in the whole season. They only lost um, one of them. So mm. you know, it's uh, it's what you make of it. And as Warnock said, he wants Town to be the team that no one else wants to face, and I think that's a good yardstick for Town for the season ahead, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But yeah, I think I think overall, I think we've been slightly down a beat on this podcast than than some others have been listening to them. But I think that's fair enough because we're only trying to be analytical, and I think that it's now time we're going to get some stuff to get our teeth into, isn't it? I think the yeah. Nagel press conference will be interesting, and I think the next three weeks will be interesting in terms of what happens transfer wise and we'll get a good idea if there's going to be some outs as well as as ins so yeah sort of bring it on now i i'm unfortunately steve as you know i'm just a football junkie so i always when the season ends it's always like oh good we can have a little break and then after two weeks i'm just sort of staring at walls and wondering what what the meaning of life is i did um i realized that i was ready for it when 
I looked at the B team fixtures and thought, oh, I can't, I can't wait to get to a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, B, B team friendlies. Um, that's precisely it. And having a daughter who's now football mad, she's the home friendly against. Uh, is it is it Herovine they're playing? Herovine, yeah. Yeah. Um, she was like, oh, we'll definitely be going to that, won't we, Dad? And it's like, oh, right, okay, yeah. I guess we are going. Um, so yeah, it's it's all exciting from here, you know. Uh, I just I just really want this season to feel different for town fans. I think they had a lousy season last season. I think the season before was was great, but ended with a real hammer blow of a summer, really, in a in a few different ways. It would be nice just to have, sort of have a steady season of progress without going without reaching too far to something that's not sustainable um, and then really giving themselves a platform next summer to get the right manager in and, and build that squad and actually sort of be on a really firm footing. I said it on the Andy Takes That Chance podcast but they, they've really got to get themselves to the point where they're sort of they're not plugging holes in the squad they're sort of improving it from transfer window to transfer window um, and that's my sort of main wish for this next year. There we go Magic, what is your and we are going to change it Media recommendation, Dave. So TV, film, music, books, podcasts, whatever you want. Uh, I've got two things to recommend, actually, Steve. Uh, there is a website out there called YouTube. Okay, mm-hmm. It's quite popular, a lot of stuff on there. But um, ages ago, I, I recommended Fatboy Slim's 27-minute remix of You've Come a Long Way, Baby, where he basically... Remixed a lot of the records into their original samples, um, and it's just a great mix. But it dropped off BBC Sounds. He's now bunged it up on YouTube, and it's just it's just a splendid way to spend half an hour, Steve. And of the eight thousand views now, I think I'm responsible for about seven and a half thousand of them. Uh, but also, uh, Fred again set from Glastonbury last night. We're recording this on the Saturday. He was on on the Friday night. If you can get it on Tide Player. If you can get it on tie player, Steve. It was, uh, yeah, it was a brilliant hour. Absolutely brilliant hour. Didn't know much of his work before this, it would be fair to say. But we'll be listening to nothing else on Spotify over the next week, I strongly suspect. Lovely. I'm going to recommend the TV show Halt and Catch Fire, which is now on. You might have seen me banging on about this on Twitter. It's the best TV show that no one watched, uh, <laughs> is the way that everyone describes it. Um it's all on all four now so you can watch it for free um it's american tv series sort of 10 episodes um per season four seasons of it um and it starts in the 1980s with uh and going through the tech revolution and the introduction of pcs to the home marketplace um and the creation of a computer to to enter that marketplace and the cutthroat tactics involved and it's Sort of feels like a Mad Men ripoff, um, but set in the eighties in the first season, and then as it goes on, it evolves into very much its own thing, and is an absolute delight by the end. So, yeah, Halt and Catch Fire—that's called. Good. Is that what we're doing now? Then are we doing media recommendations? If you want, just yeah. so I can prepare myself. Yeah, it saves me Ooh. looking at music every time. Going to be a whole lot of comic books coming up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Dave, and thank you for listening. And we will see you next time on U to be a Terrier. Goodbye.
can the season start tomorrow? Oh God, I, if, if only. I'm already running out of stuff to write. <laughs>